it's, it's sort of awesome to come to these places and listen to all the stories of what God is doing, isn't it? Um, I uh, was thinking a little bit uh, about uh, some of the interesting things uh, that has happened to us. I heard some of you folks talking about the problem of uh, praying with your patients. Uh, I should say that the surgeons have some advantage there. Because in the 50 years that uh, I practice, 50 plus years, I guess, I practice surgery, and I ask patients, would you like me to pray with you before we uh, do this operation? I only had one turn me down. <laughs> so that's a, that's a pretty high uh, percentage from a few, few thousand. When you're going into surgeon, surgery, it's amazing uh, that they'll, they'll be happy to have you uh, uh, pray for them. Another interesting thing I've noticed is that how God works from very small questions and attachments. Um, just, uh, I was in private practice in Pontiac after I finished my residency. And a nurse came up to me one day and she said, uh, Dr. Weaver, show me in the Bible where it says you shouldn't eat meat. And she uh, had discovered I was a vegetarian. And I said, oh, Edith. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but it says a lot of other things about what we should eat and do. Would you like to study that? She said, yeah. Can, can my friend Mary come too? <laughs> and just from that, uh, uh, we had two baptisms of, from the nurses there. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you as you um, uh, have opportunities. Um, the... Uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit about uh, our so-called 1966 to 2006 uh, experiences in uh, trying to uh, utilize health outreach uh, to meet um, people. Uh, my wife and I and family spent five years in Pakistan from 1961 to 1966. Oh, I'd given some lectures in high schools and the like, but we'd never had a uh, consistent health outreach. And when we returned um, to uh, Michigan and uh, I'd taken a position teaching surgery at Wayne State uh, University, uh, that was um, 1966. Uh, interesting things were happening, particularly in the smoking field uh, at that time. Uh, you remember when uh, Luther uh, Terry, the Surgeon General, fired the cannon across the bow of the tobacco industry and uh, came up and actually said uh, smoking causes uh, cancer. There had been many people thinking that uh, long uh, before that. And it was interesting that re uh, report came out on January 11, um, 1994. The committee had sent the report back to him six weeks before that. And you know why he delayed it? Because he was a smoker. And he wanted to quit, and he wanted to see if he could stay quit. <laughs> so he waited six weeks. Uh, uh, yeah, what did I say? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to talk to the typist. First time I saw that. Yeah, well, I should tell you, uh, you uh, when it comes to this uh, PowerPoint, this is the first one I ever did. Kid, kid. <laughs> Kids are trying to drag me into the 21st century here, 22nd century, what, whatever 
whatever it is. I found the carousels work so well, you know, you just click the clicker and, and the overheads, you go like that. And Yeah, thank you. Anyhow, I had never even noticed it, even though I typed it myself. It was 19... <laughs> It was um, 1964. It's, uh, uh, it was quite interesting that uh, uh, there was in the Adventist church, of course, you probably remembered. Uh, did I get that correct? I did. <laughs> uh, Dr. McFarland and uh, Pastor Falkenberg had, uh, had started the uh, five-day plan, the first one there, in Trump, Massachusetts in 1960, they uh, developed the plan and, uh, and opened it up to the church. Tobacco was kind of uh, interesting in 1960. Many of you young people uh, can't remember this, but more than 50% of the males smoked. The women were working hard to, to catch up. Smoking was sexy. The athletes were advertising it. Uh, all the movie stars were, were being... Um, shown it was cool, it was sophisticated, uh, there were no restraints on advertising, even advertised in the medical journals. Uh, the majority of physicians smoked. You young physicians can be grateful. You didn't have to go to medical meetings where you'd end up with a terrible headache because you uh, leave there where, uh, where everyone uh, was smoking. The only public non-smoking sessions was the movies, Cigarettes were sold without any restriction, and you could buy them, buy them everywhere. Um, it's uh, sort of interesting that uh, as far as the advertising, um, I think it was in 1971 that um, it was in January, I think it was January 2, I think, or 3, 1971. You know why they made it January? It had to be after the Super Bowl so they could get the get the tobacco ads in, uh, and then they fill it with beer ads, of course. Uh, so we uh, came back into the Detroit metropolitan area in 1966. Um, smoking risks uh, were getting some uh, media attention. Uh, there was uh, actually no support, actually, in the metropolitan Detroit area at that time to help people get over... Uh, their addiction. Uh, the five-day plan had some media attention, and I uh, said, "Well, why don't I give it a why don't I give it a try?" One of the nice things about it then was that you didn't have any trouble getting media attention if you had a, a non-smoking program. I should tell you, it's much more much more difficult now. I, I've noticed that uh, uh, you can have a couple of cases of. Uh, Bacillary dysentery from eating spinach, and uh, it'll be covered in all the news, but you can have 12,000 people die the same day from smoking, and uh, no one's uh, paying any attention. Um, but uh, if we were to run a stop smoking clinic, all we need to do is go to the newspaper or the radio, and they would be happy to, to give you some publicity. Um, it was uh, a very uh, God-given uh, thing that happened, I think, there in, in Detroit at that time. Uh, WJR was the big, uh, big radio station in town, and the um, main, um, uh, the biggest guy on radio in that whole area was J.P. McCarthy, who had the morning uh, drive-time uh, music and, and discussion uh, session. 
And uh, in addition to that, he had a noontime thing called the Focus Program. And uh, he, uh, he noticed that I was doing some of this uh, stop smoking thing. So in conjunction with the Michigan Cancer Foundation, uh, he said, why don't you come on for my half-hour interview at the noontime about uh, stopping smoking. At that uh, time, uh, he apparently was impressed that this was an interesting thing going on. And he said, well, um, doctor, why don't we do one on the air in morning drive time? <laughs> uh, I need to quit smoking. And so, of course, uh, we were having this uh, whole thing in the morning. I was talking on the phone on the way to work half the time. And uh, uh, I didn't have a cell phone. I'd stop, you know, and <laughs> pick one of those things up by the side. Uh, I haven't caught on to the cell phones yet. The kids asked me, what did you check your... Um, your mailbox? I said, what? <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, J.P. McCarthy and I, uh, we, we became friends. And uh, anytime I wanted to get publicity for any of my programs, he, uh, he gave me the phone number where you get by all of the secretaries and everything, you get right into the program. I could call in and, and, and he would say, oh, here's Doc. That Seventh-day Adventist stop smoker. <laughs> and, uh, and it would cover, uh, you know, a great deal of, of the, oh, and it go all the way down into Tennessee. I mean, this, this was a big, uh, big station. Anyhow, the TV people heard about it. And they said, uh, well, why don't we do something on TV? And with, in conjunction with the Michigan Cancer Foundation, uh, we set up... Uh, quite a program. Um, we were going to do a stop smoking clinic in their studio in prime time, 7.30 in the evening for, for a half hour, five, day, five nights in a row. In addition to that, they set in five phone lines where I had left a message of encouragement for anybody who would, uh, who would call in. And in addition to that, uh, we made up a little brochure of uh, stuff on how to quit smoking. We had 10,000 requests. Um, and uh, so we had this live audience, and then I would have, they'd come out and we'd shoot some of the patient problems, this, that, and the other thing. It's amazing. I still run into people say, when you cut that long on TV, I quit smoking. <laughs> um, Anyhow, uh, it was interesting because I wondered uh, what had really happened to the smoking habits uh, in Detroit during that period of time. And um, I um, talked to one of the tobacco wholesalers, and I said, uh, well, did we do anything about dropping the sales of tobacco? He's lucky I didn't get shot. <laughs> he said, yes, the month after your program, sales in the metropolitan Detroit area dropped 15%. Um, so then the newspapers, uh, they wanted me to be a, sort of a running columnist for a while on, on the smoking. And just to illustrate how at that time, this, this, was, a, this was a hot topic and, and quite easy to, uh, to uh, get attention. And there were all kinds of opportunities for clinics. The cities wanted me to run them for the cities like Detroit, Livonia, Southfield, and Warren, and I still, I tell you, I still each year do one for Warren and Livonia. 
um, a stop smoking clinic that's sponsored by the city, advertised by the city, and uh, gives you a chance to um, do it without much effort, just show up uh, with your overhead. No. <laughs> uh, corporations were interested in. We did stop smoking clinic for GM, Ford, Chrysler, um, and all of their uh, sub-suppliers. And Michigan Conference was kind enough to uh, allow me to have a, a health educator that had been uh, trained, John Swanson, so that we could cover um, basically all of this system. We did it for the school system. We did it for the churches uh, and uh, some of the hospitals. I did one for a long time for the main Catholic hospital in the, uh, in the metropolitan area, the Protestant as well as uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventist churches. And we had the privilege of helping people also overseas, having done Stop Smoking Clinic in Russia in conjunction with um, Dr. Pastor Finley's, um, one of his uh, evangelistic programs there. We had 1,500 people. Um, we did one in Pakistan, did one in Taiwan. I even did some TV work in China. Um, so smoking uh, was uh, and uh, has been a great outreach to make uh, friends and do a lot of good for, for various people. It's been estimated the number of people actually influenced by our stop smoking programs over 100,000. 100,000 people uh, through the past 40 years. Well, what were some of the problems? One of the problems was the, the recidivism. Um, and uh, when we would do studies, we would find that people would come, and by the end of your clinic, most of the people had quit smoking. But over the course of the year, probably 75 to 80% had gone back to smoking. So we thought, well, let's set up a um, Nicotinics Anonymous. Uh, I should tell you that uh, it didn't work very well simply because those people who had quit smoking or were doing well didn't think they needed to come and those people who were going back to, had gone back to smoking didn't want to admit they'd gone back to smoking. So you lost your audience in, uh, in uh, a short period of time. So we thought we would try another approach. And uh, we incorporated a nonprofit corporation called Better Living Seminars. And we thought we would put on other programs that we could then try to get the people that have been to our smoking clinics into these other programs. And perhaps then they would be less likely to go back to smoke, smoking. So we started nutrition school, stress control, weight control, exercise, and, and whatnot. And we tried to get people into these other programs. We discovered, indeed, that when they would go and move on into other aspects of their helpful practices, they were far less likely to go back to smoking. And at the end of the year, we would have 50-plus uh, percent that hadn't gone back to smoking. So this worked far better than trying to keep talking about tobacco after you'd already, uh, uh, already covered the uh, topic. And then there were the hardcore. And we thought, ah, some people said, I need a live-in program. Well, then uh, we thought, well, what can we do for a live-in program? Ah, we thought about a health camp. And um, the church uh, in Michigan has one called Camp Asable. And uh, for 28 years now, every May, 
We've had a health camp at Camp Asabo. Uh, the uh, people come up there for a week of, of health education. Um, it's a live-in program for lifestyle change, incorporating health classes uh, with recreation. also gives you a chance to get acquainted with them, which is the essence, indeed, of uh, making any spiritual um, advance um, with them. Uh, beautiful camp uh, with a... Um, with a private lake, uh, people do like to be tested, so we check their blood uh, um, when they uh, when they come in, um, and uh, we have all the we have the stop smoking classes as well as health education classes. Sort of a six ring health seminar that lasts for a week, uh, basically run by volunteers, and. Um, we even pay them for coming to classes and for their recreation. We have what we call camp dollars. It's amazing what people will do for a piece of paper. Of course, that piece of paper can be spent for things like T-shirts and, and uh, other things before you, before you leave the camp. But uh, we have uh, here what they're doing is writing down the miles of exercise. We have people walk 50 miles <laughs> during the camp. Um, there is a nice boardwalk around this lake, which is good for about two and a half miles. Um, and we, we, we set up some teams. They're kind of competing against each other um, uh, while, while they're up there. Um, I think one of the main attractions, and I should say when we started, most the majority of the people were smokers who had come up there to quit that hadn't been able to succeed otherwise. That's not true anymore. The majority of the people up there now are for nutrition and other uh, other lifestyle changes, although we still have a fairly active uh, stop smoking group. But I think one of the main things they come for is the food, of which my wife is the, um, is the main, uh, main chef. And she um, says she wasn't born yesterday, obviously. But uh, it's interesting to me in one week of, of good food, how you can convince people that this is, the way, this is the way to go. It's interesting. Now, the people that come up to stop smoking, most of them have no interest in nutrition. Many of them have never heard of a Seventh-day Adventist or a vegetarian, hardly, uh, for, for that matter. But it's interesting to me that s- several of the people who have come to stop smoking with no interest in nutrition have left vegetarian. Fact is, two of my physician friends who came to quit smoking uh, left as vegetarians, and last I knew, they were still they were still vegetarians and still off smoking, both of them. So they have various meals. Here's the Chinese meal. You see them trying to work with the with the chopsticks here. Um, hmm, time goes flying, doesn't it? Interesting story. This is a a, a very prominent East Side uh, lawyer. Uh, he came up there in the first first year. Um, he, he came because his wife asked it for a birthday present for her because he was a three-pack-a-day uh, smoker. And uh, he only ate peanut butter and bread sandwiches. But over time now, he, he's convincing everybody this is the way to go. fact is, he has insisted on, he, good Italian, of course, of making one good vegetarian Italian meal so that people can understand how good, good things are. 
And, of course, we, uh, we uh, put the recreation in most every afternoon. There's canoeing, canoeing down the Asabo River. Uh, we have um, horseback riding. They even have go-karts and, uh, and other things uh, to, um, to make it an interesting time for them. Inter interestingly enough, if any of you have a hardcore smoker can't quit May 13, contact me. Uh, we've had people come as far as Washington State, actually. Uh, still cheaper than the Pritikin's program or any of those other high expensive ones because for about $400 you can get everything. We work by volunteers, you know. We don't pay anybody. Uh, <laughs> there's the Nature Center, beautiful thing, and uh, people can have a lot of fun. One of the outreaches we have uh, that you can get into the spiritual aspect is um, what we call the uh, barn hymn sing. We do that every Friday night. There's my grandson, nice place to use some of your relatives, you know, uh, make them part of, your, uh, part of your ministry. But after the hymn sing, which uh, people enjoy, uh, we have a question and answer program. We let them ask any questions about the camp and the way it runs. Also about the Seventh-day Adventist and the church and the way it runs and what they believe. And now you're answering questions and you're not preaching to them, which we think is a, a very valuable thing. Um, bridging to the spiritual is uh, what uh, we found to be quite important. In this. And our best way is that every program we run, we hand out uh, one of these forms. And... Um, they can get on the mailing list. We now have 8,000 on our mailing list. It's um, computerized so that we can tell what their particular interest is. But what's really important here, you see, they can add any of these interests they have. But you notice there's two spiritual interests in there. Uh, informal Bible study groups and biblical perspectives on health. So... As they're checking this, you see, you can identify those that have a spiritual interest without coming across and making them think that the only reason I got you here is to preach, uh, preach religion to you. Um, well, time is, is fleeting. I should say now that there is a changing community interest, uh, Nutrition is now one of the better draws, and there's all kinds of prepared programs. Michigan Conference has several good ones. You know, there's Weimar, Nedley's program, Lifestyle America, CHIP, uh, and uh, um, the um, Health Expos and all of these, I think, are, are better introductions now than are the... Um, uh, stop smoking clinics, although we still run them. Well, one of the best introductory programs, I think, is the uh, holiday tasting extravaganza. It doesn't necessarily have to be at a holiday time. But here we have in, uh, we have in the metro area about, and this is run by my daughter-in-law, who uh, puts it together for us. Um, we have about 50 vegetarian cooks that come with a vegetarian recipe, a plate that shows how that meal will look. And they get these little um, nut cups with a number on the bottom so you can tell the players by the scorecard. 
and then the, they they take all these little tastings and they um, compare them with their sheet and they can mark them whether they liked them or didn't like them. They can get the recipes for them. And uh, we've been doing that now, I think, for 18, 19 years. And it sells out every year. Um, we do three servings of and a 200 each, so we have 600 people come. Um, and uh, this is, serves as a nice introduction to vegetarianism. And then it's, um, here's that lady on the left is my first wife. <laughs> 61, 61 years. And uh, she's uh, serving there. And you can see the little uh, nut cup in her hand. Uh, people bring, bring their friends and whole tables. And, and the uh, young people and the pathfinders, they go around. They're helping serve and clean up. Uh, it's a great way. And then if you can follow it with a supper club where they come back once a month. Time is the um, uh, important thing in working with, with uh, many of these people. So what are the principles of sp uh, spiritual interest? Number one, do it now. If, if they express an interest, don't let it set. We found that if, you know, someone says, I'd like to have a Bible study or this, that, or the other thing, and you wait a month or two, frequently it cools. It's best done by the individual who's built the relationship with them. If you try to pawn it off on the pastor or the uh, Bible worker, it doesn't work very well. Um, there are multiple options. Small groups, we've had them in our home. I, I now have a group of non-Adventists that I study with every Sabbath morning during the Bible study hour. Um, related seminars, non-threatening church activities. I heard him say he took people to Cancun with him. We take people with us everywhere we go. We've taken them to Great Lakes to their uh, student program. Uh, we are planning a trip to um, Ecuador in, in January. I would say probably 20% of our people will be non-Seventh-day Adventists. Um, it's, a, it's more ways of developing a church uh, relationships. Whatever you do, keep in touch. Think long-term. Doesn't happen all at once. Grow the relationship. Prayer may work a miracle. Um, my... Um, the head nurse in the university surgeon office at the university um, worked with me for 20 years, and we discussed religious things from time to time. I prayed with her daddy when he was dying and, and a few other things. I gave her um, uh, a set of evangelistic things. She lived way on the far side of town, about uh, you know, an hour and a quarter drive from where I lived. I lived in Northville, and she lived over here in, in Sterling Heights or some such place. So it was difficult uh, to get together. And uh, we did that. Then she went, then I sent her to Asheroff Evangelism. She went through that. Uh, was about to be baptized, and uh, he was a little late in getting there, and she lost interest. <laughs> and... Uh, I kept talking to her, and then I said, you wouldn't drive all the way around town to come to my Bible study class on Sabbath morning. She says, I think I would. Uh, and she did. 
We prayed. She said, I'd like to get my husband to come. I said, let's both pray about it. He's coming. And last Sabbath, there's my nurse. Father in heaven, thank you for these fresh testimonies of youth and uh, years, all with one goal. Use us in your service. We're thankful for others who have shown the way, and may we follow, not just in their way, but in the footsteps that they're following, Jesus Christ. Amen. Bless us now as we go to the breakout sessions. Thank you for hearing and answering this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.